Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I found a quote from sloanreview.mit.edu, co-authored by Paul J. H. Shoemaker and Philip E. Tetlock. This is from Spring 2017, a featured article. Listen up. In coming years, the most intelligent organizations will need to blend technology-enabled insights with a sophisticated understanding of human judgment, reasoning, and choice. Those that do this successfully will have an advantage over their rivals. Okay, that's the end of the quotes. We've got a couple of key phrases in there. We've got the most intelligent organizations, and we're going to focus on the word intelligent today. We've got technology enabled. What does tech have to do with it? And then sophisticated understanding of human quality. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So companies today, come on, you're listening to us on the business channel all over the world. You're either working for someone in a company or you're designing a company or you own a company, you're a manager in a company, companies are exploring how to deal with change. It is huge. There's a volume and there's a velocity we've never seen before. Change is happening around the world. We've got political turmoil. We won't get into that here on Coffee Break. We've got climate change. Okay. We've got market and supply chain globalization. You can't just be local anymore. We've got economies rising and falling and going in and out of all kinds of organizations and unions. And guess what? They're converging into a perfect storm of business disruption. That's right, business disruption. So the question today is, will becoming an intelligent enterprise, there's that word again, solve these challenges? But how do you become an intelligent enterprise? Do you embrace these disruptive technologies that are actually coming to maturity? They're not so new anymore. Machine learning, artificial intelligence, blockchain, internet of things. Is it enough? Do those make you an intelligent enterprise or is there more required? What are industry leaders in various industries doing to handle this? So welcome again. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. If you're keeping track, this is episode number 360. We started this show on October 5th, 2011. Yes, I know the date. It's seared in my brain. And I have three very expert panelists to help us figure out the question of the day. So before they speak, let me tell you who they are. First up, it's my pleasure to introduce you in a moment to Chris Beiswenger. He spells his last name B-E-I-S-W-E-N-G-E-R, if you're going to look him up. He's a principal, the U.S. SAP leader at PWC, that's Price Waterhouse Coopers LLP. And then we have Scott Feldman joining us. He's the global head of SAP HANA and SAP Leonardo customer communities at SAP. First time for all of them and including our third panelist, Samir Padtier. And I'm going to struggle with that last name, but I'm doing the best I can. P-A-D-H-Y-E. He's the vice president of global business development at SAP. Welcome panelists. Happy to have you here. And let's start off with Chris Beiswanger's 
quote. He sent us a very famous quote, a beautiful quote from the Shawshank Redemption uh, from the character Andy Dufresne. This was a Castle Rock Entertainment film written, actually produced in 1994, and the original title was Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, a story from different seasons. It's an American film drama written and directed by Frank Darapont based on the Stephen King novella that I just mentioned, the story of a banker, played by Tim Robbins, sentenced to life in Shawshank State Penitentiary for the murder of his wife and her lover, despite his claims of innocence. And it's an interesting story with money laundering and all kinds of operations. And uh, there's a fellow prisoner played by Morgan Friedman, and the prison warden is involved in some nefarious, funny operations and all of that. So here is the quote. It always comes down to just two choices. Get busy living or get busy dying. Chris Beiswinger, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on. Oh, delighted. I love the quote because it, it, it takes us in so many directions of thinking, doesn't it, Chris? Who are we? What are we doing? Are we waking up and saying, yes, it's another day. I'm going to do something for ourselves, for our business, our community, society, the world. Or are we just going to say, yeah. So talk to me about how this relates to our topic today, which is what actually makes the intelligent enterprise. Go ahead, Chris. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of passion for the movie, and I do too. It's one of my favorite films, and that quote embodies a lot of things about me personally. Uh, my mom passed away when she was 51, and so it's particularly poignant for how we live our everyday lives. But frankly, more than that, in this time, in this moment, when there's a tremendous amount of technological and societal and business change going on, that's what business leaders are facing. Right? They have to make a mm-hmm. very conscious choice to move their organizations in new directions, move towards that intelligent enterprise, or sit and do things the way they've done things in the past. And the reality is one way provides life, vitality, growth, and the other one, frankly, could be a road to death for their organization, whether you know, they get scooped up in an acquisition or you know, perhaps they just get beat very abruptly by a competitor. So I think regardless of how you look at it, for living your everyday life, as you mentioned, living your business career and how you want to take it in a new direction, or for our business leaders out there, it's extremely poignant. Thank you. It's a beautiful quote, and I, I am passionate. I watched the movie, I think I, I found it on TV a couple of years ago, Chris, and I don't like prison movies. I don't like dark movies, that kind of thing. And I, I watched it, and a friend said to me, watch it. You will appreciate it. You will love it. You will get the message. It's not just about what goes on behind the bars. There's a whole life going on in here, and there are so many messages. And they kept saying to me, don't turn it off. Keep watching it. And I did. And I was very grateful that I watched the movie. So my question to you is, how much is it a do or die? Let's put it in those terms. And Chris, we politely call companies that aren't on board laggards. Is it time to stop using the word laggards? Is it a little bit of a a lazy word? But my, my question to you is, is, are we at that tipping point? And I talked about the perfect storm of business disruption. Are we at that tipping point where businesses that don't embrace these technologies in some way and wholeheartedly are going to face the wall that is not going to be a good message for them? What, what do you think? I think we are. If I look back to the World Economic Forum last year, I know one of the business leaders there said, you know, I will submit to you that the world has never moved. The pace of change has never been as fast as it is today, and it will never be this slow again. And so when you take that into consideration, you can't afford to be a laggard. You have to take steps to move you in the right direction. And those steps are more than technology, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more today. 
And you just quoted the change paradox. And I know that SAP CEO Bill McDermott said it. He was not the one to originate it. We've had it on the show, and it's called The Paradox of Behavior Change and the Myth of Overnight Success. And it's actually been used in gestalt therapy. I'm quick on the draw when it comes to looking things up, so forgive me for that, Chris. Chris, we're looking forward to picking your brain a lot during the coming hour. Thank you so much for joining us, and a shout-out to all of your colleagues at PwC. We're always happy to have you and your colleagues on our shows. And now let's move around the table to Scott Feldman at SAP. And Scott has sent us a very, 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 very long quote. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it. It's from Theodore Roosevelt, President Theodore Roosevelt. He gave this speech in April of 1910 at the Sorbonne in Paris during a tour of Europe after he completed a scientific expedition through East Africa, I was going to say Asia, East Africa, sponsored by, of all places, the Smithsonian. The speech is known for its man in the arena passage, outlining Teddy Roosevelt's thoughts about the duties and responsibilities of state to citizen and citizen to state. So here is a little bit of the quote, Scott, and uh, I think I can get the gist of it. And so here it is. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause. I'm going to stop there. Scott Feldman, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for having me on, Bonnie. Thank you. I hope I did justice to the quote. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I love that quote. It's so relevant. Absolutely. What does this quote have to do with our topic today, please? Well, it has quite a bit, except for the word man. (laughs) Thank you. I I saw that, and I I didn't stumble, but I said, hmm, but I can't change Teddy Roosevelt's words, so talk to me. (laughs) No, well... Back 100 years ago, that was relevant. It's still relevant. The gist of the quote is relevant because we mentioned about the intelligent enterprise. And we can't get to the intelligent enterprise without intelligent people creating the intelligent enterprise. So it's not just men. It's men, women, and everybody, right? And you mentioned earlier the human qualities. And, and in order to bring that into focus, we need to make sure that organizations have an opportunity to try things. And so that's what I love about this because you really can't move forward in progress unless you make an effort. And in order to make an effort, sometimes you'll try and you'll fail. And failure is actually good. It used to be years ago in business, if you failed, that was a bad thing. But maybe you want to fail and fail fast and then Mm -hmm. understand where you need to move forward, right? So that's really important. And actually, you know, the executives in our organizations, the CIOs and the others that we work with in our companies and and in organizations, they've got a lot on their head right now. They've got to create a new world. It was mentioned a little bit earlier. So we have to, and Chris talked about it really well in his intro. We really need to understand how we're moving forward. We can't stay still. If we're going to stay still, somebody else is going to swamp out and, and, and take care of our business for us in a different way, change our business models and change our business patterns, and our infrastructure will not be able to cope with it. So we have to actually try things, and that's what I love about this, because you have to sweat a little bit, you have to get some dust in your face, and you need to try some things that will fail. Now, the good news is we have the technology available today, whereas if you do fail, you might be able to fail quickly. So you learn mm-hmm. from mistakes and move on. But I think this quote is extremely important, and it's so relevant today. A hundred years later, it's still relevant. 
Thank you very much, Scott. Very interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about, I mentioned to Chris, my, my thought that laggard is really too blah of a word, but what we're talking about, perfect storm of business disruption, dynamic change, flying at companies every moment of every day. Do you think that there are any leaders who consider themselves leaders who are still saying, nah, we'll do something about next year, artificial intelligence? I don't know. It sounds like a bunch of woo-woo to me. And Internet of Things sensors? Seriously, we're going to do that? Why would why would we invest the money? It's not proven yet. Or just because our biggest competitors are using it doesn't mean well we're we're individualizing, we're personalizing because we're a small company. What do we need to go in and spend all that money and time for? Do you think there are companies still saying that, Scott? I think I think organizations have to look behind the show. They have to have one eye looking forward and one eye looking backwards to see, you know, what are we learning and, and how do we get a little more paranoid. Uh, ah. the, the, the old CEO of, uh, of uh, Intel, Andy Grove, he's, he wrote a book a number of years ago, and I read this. I never forgot it. I think it was called Only the Paranoid Survive. I know you're quick on the fingers to check things out, so do a fact yep. on that. I think yes. that's what it's called. And it was always about trying to be the market leader and the thought leader and the, in, in, and the technology leader ahead of your competitors. And in order to do that, you have to get a little bit of a paranoia. It's like, oh, what if I'm not good enough? What if I can't do this? What if my competitor is going to do something? The, the funny thing is that even if you have a great tool or a great solution that companies can use to advance technologies within their business or a great methodology, guess what? Their competitor is also using that same methodology. And so you have to come up with some type of differentiator yes. in order yes. to make sure that your organization is going to win. So. I think I think you're right. In, in order to be a laggard, as you said earlier in the, in the concept of that word, that's maybe getting a little bit of a legacy term, kind of like the man term from Teddy Roosevelt. But, you know, <laughs> <Touché. laughs> to some extent. But then again, but then again, I think it's really important to always have. You know, you can't keep both eyes forward. You have to have one good eye navigating and another one just constantly looking back in your rearview mirror to say, well, who's coming up my path? Who's coming behind me? What are the things that can be done? Uh, I, think my, I think our next panel is going to talk about some terminology that he likes to use about how, uh, how the disruptors in the new businesses are just killing some of the mainstays in the old businesses. And, and this is something that is really important right now, and, and we want to discuss this a little bit further. So that's Thank where my you, mind is going. Scott. Thank you very much. And by the way, yes, the title of the book, it is Andy Grove, Only the Paranoid Survive, How to Exploit the Crisis Points that Challenge Every Company. It's now available on Kindle. Um, Andy Grove, founder and former CEO of Intel, shares his strategy for success as he takes the reader deep inside the workings of a major company. There you go. So, uh, yeah, so good call. Check. Yeah, I, I, I fast on the draw here, my dear. And uh, yes, I, <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Always. And by the way, the first thing that comes up when you Google only the paranoid survive is a line of T-shirts that say only the paranoid survive. So just want you to know they're ahead on ahead, ahead of Andy Groh's book on the Google search. Did I hear somebody? Somebody want to say something? We good? Okay. Now. Let's move on. Thank you so much, Scott, and, and I appreciate all of the commentary on that. Yes, we have a lot more to talk about. Let's move around the table to Samir. Samir, I'm checking my notes. I want to pronounce your last name perfectly, Patier, and he spells it P-A-D-H-Y-E again. And Samir has sent us a quote from Steve Jobs. And Samir, I don't know if I told you on our prep call that October 5th, 2011, the day that Steve Jobs passed away, has special meaning for me, not just because of that loss to, to our culture in the world, but that 
that was the day we launched the first Game Changers radio show, October 5th, 2011. And it's this show, but it wasn't called Coffee Break with Game Changers. We called it Breakfast with Game Changers. We thought that was brilliant. And after a little while, a week or two, my manager came back to me and said, you know, maybe people aren't so keen on breakfast anymore, but everybody's drinking coffee somewhere, somehow, somewhere in the world. Let's rename it. And that's the secret behind how we got Coffee Break with Game Changers. So Samir sent us the following quote from Steve Jobs, who lived way too short a lifetime, 1955 to 2011, American business magnate and investor, the chairman and CEO and co-founder of Apple Inc., chair and major majority Shareholder of Pixar, member of the Walt Disney Company's board of directors after its acquisition of Pixar, founder, chairman, and CEO of Next, and he's recognized as the pioneer of the microcomputer revolution of the 70s and 80s with his Apple co-founder, Steve Wozniak, who was a very interesting uh, contestant on Dancing with the Stars years ago, I had to say that. Here's the quote. Everyone here has the sense that right now is one of those moments when we are influencing the future. Samir, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing well, sitting here in uh, partly sunny, partly rainy Palo Alto, and uh, loving the conversation so far. Thank you very much. We, I want you to speak up a little bit. You're a little bit low for us. I think you're up on the board all the way, so speak up a little bit. Tell me how you picked this wonderful Steve Jobs quote. All three of you picked marvelous quotes that are so much mantras for living, actually. Nothing to do with what we're talking about today, and I really appreciate that. Samir, where does this quote relate specifically to our topic, please? So um, I'm based here in Silicon Valley, and we always think that we are at the cutting edge of technology, and we are trying to really make a difference in how everyday people and business people and enterprises go about their day-to-day business. And, you know, in general, we get excited about many things. Uh, I know we got all excited about cloud and so many other paradigms, and really moving things to cloud didn't really make anybody's experience better, and, you know, Steve Jobs always started with the end in mind, and we listened to a lot of his direct reports here in the Bay Area, in in Silicon Valley, Mm -hmm. and they would say, he would come to us and say, I need a device that would fit in my pocket, and I can carry 10,000 songs, and then he would just let these Hmm. right people and unleash them, and that's, I think, what we are doing right now in an enterprise context. Um, the consumers everywhere have access to where you're talking to your Siri or your Alexa, and they're doing different things for you in your home or in your car, and you try to do that in the enterprise context, and it's not working, right? And then there's also the ability for us to track uh, our packages down mm-hmm. to where it is from New York all the way to the West Coast on FedEx or UPS. Try tracking a million-dollar package that's coming from, uh, you know, some other country, Overseas, and you really have very little visibility. And that is what excites me. That is what this code means to me, is that we are going to take all this technology that is very prevalent and commonplace in, in consumer space, and we're going to bring it to the enterprise, and it's going to make everybody's experience much better, including the end users, the consumers, um, the employees themselves, and in the business, it's going to be that much more relevant and successful for all of us. Thank you very much. Do you, do you think that people today in companies that are listening to us around the world, Samira, saying, yep, 
I'm going to influence the future. I have a role here. It's beyond the bottom line of my company. It's beyond stakeholder value, whether you believe or that or not. I know some people are knocking that. And there was a quote on the show last week. Okay. Um, do you think Do you think that people are, are feeling the weight of the enormity of the change that's happening in the world and how businesses, in order to survive, need to be part of that change for good, not just for the dollar, for what's happening in the world. We talk about sustainability. We talk about purpose. Do you think there's a, a bigger purpose that's dawning on a lot of businesses, Samir? I, I think there are. I think there are many. I think there's a majority who are in that category where they are actually aware of the enormity and uh, the impact that we are about to have in this present time, more so than any previous time. But I think there's also a lot of people who are very fearful. Um, there are traditional businesses. I worked mm. for years and years and decades in the utility space, and they were never accused of being extremely innovative and cutting edge. But yet, yep. because of electric cars and solar panels and all these other changes and, you know, shift in how we want it to be very green and sustainable energy, um, they are having to be very cutting edge and, and adopt a lot of different sort of modern technologies. So I think a lot of the leaders are, in that sense, uh, looking at it. And, you know, one of the things that um, is sort of out there is that somehow technology can be dangerous or it could be misused, you know, especially if it's artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe many millennia ago, the cavemen were afraid of fire because they felt like, oh, this fire could cause problems. But here here we are. We've tamed it and we control it. And I think that's the same thing that's going to happen to all these thought leaders in these companies who are very much looking forward to taking this technology leap and also to the ones who are a little bit more um, hesitant because they're not sure if this technology is going to cause um, unintended consequences, right, bad consequences. And so, yes, to answer your question, I think there is a great sense in all the conversations I've had recently with, uh, with a lot of different enterprises that we are at the cusp of really changing how we interact with uh, the world around us. Thank you very much, Samir. I, I am so uh, marveling at the quotes all three of you brought me, but I have to, I, and I have to do a shout out to Brad Borkin at SAP who brought me this topic and assembled this wonderful panel. So I know Brad is listening. He's in the UK. Uh, it's not too late for you, Brad. It's probably late afternoon in London, and uh, he is tweeting. We also have to do a shout out to Mohammed Amer at SAP. He goes by the handle at BizUser B I Z U S E R C. I'm calling you out, Mohammed. He is one of our most loyal followers on Game Changers Radio. And he's already retweeted my tweets of your quote, Samir, your quote, Scott, your quote, Chris. So there you go. So we've got some active tweeting going on here. Now, let's go around the table. It's time for me to allow our panelists to or give them the pleasure of introducing yourselves a little more personally to our audience. So let's start with you, Chris, at PwC. And Chris, three questions. Number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite drink? Because this is coffee break with Game Changes, but it doesn't have to be coffee, obviously. And number three, what is your role? What do you do at PwC? So, Bonnie, I'm speaking to you from one of our clients in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where it's a little bit snowy and gray this morning. Uh, what I've got in my cup is something that's very utilitarian, very practical, and you can take it in a lot of different directions, um, maybe like technology itself, maybe a little <laughs> bit describes my personality too, and that is club soda, right? You can Ooh. put a little fruit in there, make it uh, a little bit uh, upscale, or, you know, on a Friday night, it can be even more utilitarian with uh, your adult beverage of choice, so it's got a lot of purposes. Uh, and then lastly, what I'm doing for PwC is I'm exactly helping 
clients with the challenge we're talking about is how to navigate all these technologies, but really think about it from an operating model perspective. What should their organization look like? What should their KPIs look like? How do their behaviors, cultures, and norms have to change to take advantage of and enable all of this success that they're all looking for with these investments in technology? Thank you very much. And Chris, while you were speaking, I, I Googled Club Soda. I just was wondering if some of our listeners may not know what it is. Believe me, they may not. And I found an article on VinePair, V-I-N-E-P-A-I-R.com. It's titled, What's the Difference Between Club Soda, Seltzer, and Sparkling Water and Tonic too? So I recommend looking it up. Do you know the difference between seltzer water and club soda, Chris? I think it has something to do with salt, but I'm, I'm has- not sure. Tell me. A lot of minerals. Club soda is similar to seltzer, but in addition to CO2, it includes sodium bicarb, sodium citrate, disodium phosphate. I'm killing your, your love for this. And occasionally sodium chloride. If a cocktail recipe calls for seltzer and you only have club soda, eh, you can get away with substituting it, okay? So there you go. So just, just a bunch of extra minerals. So thank you. I don't think I've ever had anybody say club soda on this part of the show. Thank you, Chris. That was refreshing, and I keep some in my refrigerator all the time. So thanks for the recipe hints. Appreciate that. And now let's move around the table to Scott Feldman at SAP. Scott, same three questions. Where are you today? What do you love to drink, and what do you do? Well, today I'm in the Newtown Square office of SAP, which is located in the suburbs around Philadelphia. So a little East Coast weather going on. Nice and sunny, but a little chilly. No rain. That's coming later. And um, in my cup is one of my favorite beverages, green tea. So you can you can go look up green tea. <laughs> You're mocking me. You're mocking me. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, could, we could talk all day about green tea, but I think we want to talk about technology and, and the intelligent enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> but there are 10 proven benefits of green tea, according to the article at Healthline.com. So, see, I am quick on the draw. Thank you very much. Yeah. You have a special kind of green tea, uh, an origin or a, a brand? Anything you want to share with us? No, this is just what comes out of the uh, cupboard at the company, which I, I need to really bring in my own because it's much better. <laughs> okay. There you go. There you go. We just got a we just got a game changer comment from you. What what do you what have you been busy doing? I'm pretty busy. So I'm managing a team, and we're running strategic customer communities around the innovation and the technology areas, like in memory computing, intelligent enterprise, intelligent technology offerings, and so forth. The other cool part of the, the job that I have is I run customer executive advisory councils with C-levels in the room, and we're doing one actually next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we're doing is we're building those trusted relationships as well as providing an open forum for them to share their knowledge, feedback, uh, real discussions like we're having here, as well as their own personal experiences with technology adoption. And it's always the same old thing that comes up. It's like, gee, I know there's a lot of new stuff coming, but I still got to keep the lights on. You know, so maybe we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. And they just want to optimize their own processes and run their enterprises better. They don't, they, the, the executives that I work with, they're a little bit afraid of, getting, um, of, of losing their roles because as IT becomes more ubiquitous and, and, and goes downstream a little more to the end users, what's the role of the CIO, right? So what's the role of the executives running yeah. enterprises today? You know, they don't want to be disintermediated themselves, right? So they, they really want to make sure that they're providing value. Very, very interesting on that, on that point. We also work with people that work directly with them, we, uh, that report directly to them. I also speak a lot of user groups and, and conferences throughout the years and uh, enjoying, enjoying that very much. 
Thank you very much. I'm just going to make a sidebar here, and I'm not going to get political, but one of the candidates who just announced uh, was at a town hall, uh, widely televised the other night, and he said, point blank, we cannot allow artificial intelligence to steal jobs because that's what's going to happen. We're going to see a major exodus from the workforce, and we have to be very careful with it. And we talk about how it's going to enhance workers' opportunities, and it's going to improve getting away from tedious, busy work. So I, I'm just I marvel at there's so much that needs to be clarified. Well, Can you agree with that, Scott? Yeah, there's a there's a there's a lot of clarification that needs to happen, Bonnie. I won't mention the candidate's name either, but I did see that segment. Yeah. And I was, I was scratching my head, to be honest with you, because we have lots of use cases where AI is actually helping organizations, helping workers. Yes. And there are, there, are, there are instances where organizations are putting humans and robotics together on the same yes. assembly line and working hand in hand in, in, in arm, you know, so, so to use a metaphor. So to speak, yes. And, uh, so I don't, I don't quite understand that. You know, not everybody, let's put it this way, not everybody who doesn't work daily in the roles that we have in technology, I don't think they really understand the, the full impact of all of this. I agree. So and he basically said robots are a major threat. I, I, yeah, I, I was sitting here saying, seriously, come on, get, learn, learn <laughs> yeah. a little bit more. We won't go into it, and I, I don't usually do that, but I had to say something. Thank you, Scott. And let's go around the table to Samir at SAP. Samir, same three questions. Where are you today? I think you already told us, but repeat it, please. What do you love to drink, and what is your role? All right. So I am in Palo Alto, where at this very moment, Palo Alto, California, it is both bright sunshine and rain at the same time. So it's quite incredible. <laughs> um, it, it happens. It's just like Hawaii. And then that's where you get all the rainbow situation. Um, I am um, a big fan of red wine. And no, I'm not drinking it. It's only 8.30 here on the West Coast. We're not asking. Uh, but a good <laughs> is what I like. What I'm drinking right now is just water, room temperature, that came out of the filtered little faucet thingy that SAP has here. So that's where I am, and that's what I like to drink. And what I do uh, and what I've done over the last couple of decades is I'm really a technology evangelist at heart. And my current role, I'm the vice president working on innovation topics with all of our large partners and large customers. And I speak in front of various audiences, both inside SAP, outside SAP, because I think evangelism and evangelizing technology, really I need to also get all of my peers and my coworkers and people inside the organization, all of the folks in the partner organizations, as well as obviously my, my real delight is when I'm talking to customers who are trying to address real business challenges so that they can improve and provide better products and services and offerings to their customers. Um, so in general, I talk about technology to a variety of audiences on a daily basis. That's what I do. Thank you. You need to educate a lot of people about that. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm in Durham, North Carolina. Forecast is rain, 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 rain. There's still drops on the window. It was raining furiously early this morning, but now I can actually see clearly outside. Temperature here ranges from some nights um, 27 degrees Fahrenheit, and then during the day, the following day, could be anywhere from 61 to 76. I'm new to North Carolina. A year and a half ago, moved here from Long Island, New York, and I'm still getting used to this version of southern winter. 
it's really crazy. Sometimes we're about the same as the New York temperatures, New York City. So, yeah, so that's the way it goes. They don't allow me anywhere near caffeine, Chris, Scott, and Samir, on radio show days. And this is a doubleheader. I have another show a couple hours after this. So all I'm allowed to drink is water. So I have cool, clear water with a blue straw today because I'm hoping for blue skies later. So there we go. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Another shout-out to Brad Borkin, who is listening and tweeting, and Mohammed Amr, who is listening and tweeting. Thank you, gentlemen. Tell your friends to tune in. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We are live at Wednesday, February 27th. Where is the year going already? And our question of the day is, do intelligent technologies make the intelligent enterprise? Chris Weiswanger at PwC is helping us answer that, along with Scott Feldman and Samir Patier at SAP. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We're going to take a really short break, about 60 seconds, and we'll be right back. And Chris and I will dive into the roundtable and see what everybody thinks. So, Aaron, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com business news and discussions are always changing in order to stay ahead of the game sometimes you need to be a follower you can follow the voice america business channel on twitter at voice am business again that's at voice am business and stay current we're making it easier to listen to the voice america talk radio network wherever you go In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We're back. Hope you all had the pause that refreshes. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, as the gentleman said. And our topic today is, do intelligent technologies make the intelligent enterprise? We're going to kick off the formal roundtable, although we've had quite an exciting one already, with Chris Beiswanger at PwC. And here is what Chris told me before the show. He said, quote, the skill gap is the biggest inhibitor to achieving the intelligent enterprise. I'm going to let you tell us about the research. Chris, please chime in. 
Yes, thanks, Bonnie. So I think Scott mentioned a little bit earlier about the fear that's out there in the employee population. And a big part of that fear is what happens to me? What happens to my job? And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that we don't focus enough on with technology, I started working around SAP and technologies back in, in 1995 and even prior to that, coding COBOL. But what we've always short shifted was the focus on the change management and the people. And so we do a a CEO survey every year, and 55% of the CEOs out there say availability of key skills is holding them back from innovating effectively. Hmm. That's a pretty big chunk of the organizations out there that say, I don't have the right people in order to achieve my strategic goals, in order to achieve my technology goals, in order to change the game for my organization and how I compete. And it's not just in technologists, but it's also in things like data scientists. It's also in, thing, in areas like understanding the customer experience, understanding how humans want to interact with technology. All of these are, are areas that our customers are frankly short of those skills, and, and they don't really know how to solve the gap. So digital upskilling is a big piece of that. About a third of the organizations out there said, you know, they're focused on that. They're, they're significantly retraining and upskilling, but still about 15% of Global CEOs say they're going to go out and hire from competitors. That doesn't Hmm. solve the problem. The skill gap is a global skill gap. We're going to have a shortage of these types of resources for years to come. So it's really investing in retraining and upskilling our people. That'll take some of the fear away. And then also really need to establish some strong connections and strong pipelines directly into uh, undergraduate and graduate schools so we're getting the right types of skills coming out of those types of organizations. Thank you, Chris. It does trickle down into education. We haven't talked about that on Game Changers in a long time, but I just have to tell you, I was a COBOL programmer, too. But I bet I predated you because I was key punching, and I was working on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5. What were you working on? Uh, my first was a DECVAX. Okay. All right. Well, maybe yep. <laughs> probably a couple couple of years difference in there, but maybe not too much. Thank you very much. I still have some green bar paper with core dumps from some of my programs. It just seemed like something to keep as I moved around the country. Okay, Scott Feldman, forget about the COBOL part. Just jump in here. What do you think about the skill gap is the biggest inhibitor to achieving the intelligent enterprise? Agree or disagree? Well, on this one, I'm going to have to agree, and I'm actually writing my notes on my green bar paper here. Touche. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're good. Go ahead. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, pretty funny. Uh, interestingly, you know, we got a lot of emails. One of the emails I got was to come join a webinar, and I, I forget who the vendor was. But actually, this is honestly true, and this happened yesterday, and it was around cybersecurity. So we're talking about the intelligent enterprise, and one of the things that we need to do is we need to put security around the intelligence that we have in the enterprise, especially with all of the myriad of devices that are outside our our protected firewalls. So Mm -hmm. we need to understand what that is. So cyber is a big play here. And what's interesting is getting to the skills gap, they estimated that there's going to be 3 million roles that need to be filled around cyber that there's no skill for right now. So that's huge. I I don't know how we're going to solve this problem. I, I lectured two years ago at one of the universities local to our area and I realized that as the students were going through their curriculum, and these are like juniors and seniors, that there was still a skill gap, even though they were coming out with undergrads and bachelor, bachelor degrees in science and bachelors in technology and engineering, they still didn't have the right skills, and they still didn't have the right, right opportunities. One of the things that is really interesting, though, is that where are we going to get these skills? You know, we've seen this gig economy pop up for services, like, you know, let's mm-hmm. for taxi driving and things like that. I mean, we all know the gig economy. 
what's going to happen with the opportunity to gap in those skills with gig resources? Are people going to be able to take those skills and say, you know what, I don't want to work for an organization and be tied to a company at this point in time. I'd rather use my skills and gig it out to a variety of organizations that need the type of skills that I have. So this is really an interesting conversation in terms of where we need skills. Nevertheless, I do agree with what Chris said earlier. You know, this is a huge opportunity uh, for executives to, to fulfill needs that they just simply can't, can't get to right now. And so, you know, when you're looking behind, as, as I said earlier in the opening comments, in order to make sure that you have an organization that can compete effectively and professionally and globally against your competition, you have to have the skills to do that. And guess what? Your competitor is looking for the same skills. And so yes. It, it, it's sort of an ongoing you know, situation, and it just it kind of snowballs amongst itself, right? So it's the skilled person's market, like a buyer's and a seller's market. Very interesting. And, and by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're trying to solve the question, do intelligent technologies make the intelligent enterprise? And what we're discovering now is there's a very human side, which is we need people with the right skills to do it, and they may not be available even with the gig economy. Samir, join us, please. Thoughts on... Agree or disagree? The skill gap, how important is it? Well, I totally agree, and I want to take this in a slightly different direction. I want to take it outside the IT realm into where all of our customers are actually trying to make a change in their business. So there's a big shortage because of either skills gap or because humans just want to do uh, more higher order things, right? So there is a shortage of about 300,000 truck drivers. There's a shortage of the repair technicians are willing to go into remote areas, and I'm thinking again back to my background of utilities and telco, where these lines are going across big mountains, and nobody wants to go out there and repair something that's broken. So, you know, food preparation, working in a mine, which is dangerous, right? So how do you now take this technology and actually solve that gap of worker shortage? And I think there are examples of how self-driving trucks and cars are going to be a reality before we know it. Um, there are also drones that can go to remote areas and take pictures and start solving problems there. And much like the movie Matrix, you could have mm-hmm. a repair technician who has got many of the skills, um, but not exactly the right skills for that particular situation. And they could have an augmented reality, AR, VR glass set there that can then give them that additional bit of information. They could have 3D printers printing little nuts and bolts that they may not have in their little toolkit, and they could easily print it and fix things right then and there. So I think, in a way, the technology skill gap can be overcome a little bit in a non-IT sense, right, in the real Mm -hmm. industry sense, with technology itself. It's kind of an interesting um, kind of a circular thing there. Thank you very much. Chris, interesting comments from your colleagues. Anything you want to add to this before I move to something from Scott's list? I'll just emphasize that it is exactly circular, right? We need artificial intelligence and machine learning to augment the workforce, right? Here in the U.S., for example, we have a tremendous baby boomer population, and the demographics say they're going to be exiting the workforce. So we've got lots of people to replace finding that balance between helpful AI, right, and hurtful to the overall society and economy is the thing we'll need to figure out over the next several years. 
Thank you very much. And Scott Feldman, I'm moving on. Let's talk about customer experience. You can tell I'm trying to stay away from deep dive into the specific technologies. We're talking about intelligent technologies, and I think we and our listeners know what we're talking about, but we're looking at are they enough. So let's keep going around around the curve on that. So Scott Feldman said, the new integration is along the customer front. Companies have managed their back office with ERP and are focusing on their front office their customer. So how do marketing, sales, commerce, ser- service, and other functions impact the customer? So let's talk about how important is the quote-unquote, and it is a buzzword, it is important, and companies need to pay attention to it because we, the customers, want to be uh, to paid attention to. We want everything personalized. We want it now. We want it when we want it. We want them to understand our needs, anticipate our needs. So customer experience, how important a role does this play, Scott Feldman, in the intelligent enterprise that is going to be successful? Bonnie, this, this is very near and dear to my heart. I mean, we've been mm-hmm. working in, in technology for many years in the various roles that we have, and, and everyone understands what we need to do to kind of get the back office in play and, and make sure the enterprise runs the right way. But this, is, this has really come to the forefront in more, more recently in the past few years than before. Do we know who our customer is? So, for example, if I walk into a retail store and I want to go buy a shirt, Maybe I have a device that lets me know where I am because you're always you carry a mobile device pretty much broadcasting your whereabouts to anybody that mm-hmm. wants to listen. Yep. So if you give permissions to a store, for example, I don't use store specific names, but there are, there are clients we've worked with that, that do this today. If you walk into a store and you give permission to allow the store to know who you are, then it's possible that somebody may come up to you and say, what are you looking for today, Scott? And I'll say, well, I happen to be looking for a couple of shirts. It's like, oh, okay, I realized that last time you were in, a few months ago you bought a suit and you bought some other uh, a jacket. Uh, I have some great opportunities to fit you with some shirts that we just got a new line in. And, and we, I know based on your taste profile and what you've filled out, I think these would be really great for you. Uh, we're doing that in the retail arena in in real time. We're also doing things online. There are organizations that are mostly the startups who are using technology today to define what the specific shoe would be for a particular individual. So, for example, there's a company in Germany that is building a new application that actually could use the scanning and camera capabilities of your phone to outline a lady's foot. And then Mm. with the image of the foot, it can actually fit a shoe that is designed based on uh, preferences and profiles and actually build a shoe using robotic technology, of course, and then send that shoe to you. And chances are, based on the analytics that they've done, it's going to be something that that person is going to like. So this is really, really interesting. Now, what's really interesting is we've gone past kind of the, the intermediate distribution channels, and we've gone direct from manufacturer to consumer. So when you buy a car today, as compared to buying a car, let's say, 20 years ago, chances are that car company is going to know a lot more about you as the end buyer and user of that car rather than going through the dealer or distribution network to find out that information. Many times, as you know, in the past, automobile manufacturers, to use that example, they had no idea who was using their product, what demographic mm-hmm. they were in, what the traits are, the qualities, where they like to be on Saturdays, where they like to be on Wednesdays, this type of, of data. Now that we're broadcasting all this information, manufacturers have an opportunity to, through technology, through intelligence, to understand who you are 
and provide preferential uh, product solutions and services based on your own unique profiles. So I think this is actually really interesting. That's uh, another way that, that I think the world is changing really fast because some of those that are not used to that in their life are getting a little surprised. It's like, really? How do you know all this about me? But, <laughs> but that's uh, kind of the reality behind it. Well, thank you. And I have to tell you, I continue to be amazed. I just upgraded my iPhone. I'm on that annual upgrade uh, service. And, but anyway, what I want to tell you is that I have certain places. I work from my broadcasting studios here in my home office. And I have a few places that I go on a regular basis, Scott. And when I take out my phone and my car has a dashboard, my dashboard map system, GPS, is a couple of years old because it's a, well, I buy sports cars a couple of years old. That's the way I like them. But anyway, the point is I'm not going to pay to upgrade. That's why I use my iPhone in the car for my GPS. So I notice on Saturday when I get ready to go to a certain place every Saturday and I take out the GPS app on my phone and I touch it, the first thing that comes up is the place that I always go on Saturdays. When I take my phone out to go to a certain place on Thursdays, and check what the traffic patterns are, what the fastest route is. It always seems to know where I'm going on Saturdays. <laughs> and I'm, I'm asking that question, how do you know? And when I leave the place I go, it's for my drum lesson on Saturday, I go to go home by a, a different highway. It'll, it thinks I'm going to my daughter's for dinner because that's where I go two Saturdays a month to my daughter's for dinner. So it'll say, here's the fastest route to your daughter's house. How does it know? Can you tell me, Scott, because is there a little person in there? <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a gremlin in there that's uh, predicting where you're going to be at a certain point in time. It's almost Orwellian in, in concept. It is. Think about it. it is. It's scary. Samir, I want to get you in quickly to comment on we're almost out of time. I'm so sorry. I'm inviting you all back for part two, so don't worry about that. We'll continue in, in a couple of weeks. We'll continue with this if you'd love to come back. I hope you say yes. Samir, just comment, please, quickly on what Scott just shared about customer experience and the intelligent enterprise. Yep, I agree with what you've been saying and Scott's been saying. I think technology is improving everything all the time for us. And yes, there is some reason for us to have a little bit of fear, but by and large, uh, it's going to be far, far more beneficial than any sort of negative use of uh, our data or information. You know, it knows where you're going because it's probably trying to help you get there quicker, faster. So I, I completely agree with both of your comments. Thank you very much. Let's move around the table to Chris at PwC. Chris, we're going to leave this topic and go into our crystal ball predictions round right now because we're on the clock. My fault. Having such a good time speaking with the three of you. So Chris Beiswanger at PwC, 60 seconds. What do you predict will change about this whole topic of the intelligent enterprise and what we've been discussing, intelligent technologies, customer experience, the skills gap? Where is this heading anytime between five minutes after we end the show in a few minutes, and let's say 2025. What do you see? Chris Beiswinger, go. Well, first and foremost with predictions, I'm going to predict that the Cleveland Browns will return to the playoffs after a long absence. But uh, with regards to technology, I want to Good focus on, on trust, right? You just talked about it. You described it as Orwellian, right? And, and yeah. it's frankly disturbing. I, I think this is going to become much more important, whether it's from the cyber perspective or whether it's from being able to explain and trust the decisions that are being made by artificial intelligence and machine learning. In fact, there's a category of AI called XAI now, which is explainable artificial intelligence because the algorithms are frankly a black box. And I think in order for we as human beings to embrace these technologies, take the fear out of it, this is going to become probably one of the most important topics over the next five years. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Scott Feldman, I have 60 seconds with your name on them. Go. <laughs> there you go. Hmm. Um, multi-cloud and, so, and security. I think that it's a multi-cloud world today. Most organizations don't realize it. They've got multiple clouds in their organization. That's how all the stuff gets empowered, by the way. And cybersecurity is going to be ultimately the, the do or die um, in, in, you know, technology that's going to determine whether or not uh, companies will be successful or, the, or they'll be hacked. You know, recently I was in New York City, one of my favorite places where I grew up, and um, I went to a new museum. It's called the Spy Museum. And Ooh. they actually had all these things about spying from going back to, um, to the, the machines that uh, decoded the messages uh, in World War II for the submarine messages, as well as modern technology. And in modern technology, there was a, a virus that actually got introduced into the centrifuges over in Iran uh, so mm-hmm. that they could actually destroy them. And that was mm. basically a cyber, a cyber weapon that was used against, uh, in this case, it wasn't, it was for overall for good reasons because we didn't want that centrifuging to happen, but everyone heard about this. This was public information, and it's in a museum that's open to the public, so I'm not telling anybody anything that's not public data. <laughs> um, but what's real? so there's no secrets here. It's all open, and you can go visit it. You should go check it out. Um, but what's very interesting about this is that could this happen to your enterprise? Is that, you know, people are trying to hack in and trying to ruin all the things we're doing. We're trying to make the world more intelligent. We're trying to make the world a better place to live and operate and and have a better life. And it's all being powered by intelligence, artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain technologies, and analytics all over all the investments that companies are making here. But one of the things that could destroy it is a breach. It could be a cyber breach. So this is a huge issue. I would love to possibly have a conversation if we come back on part two, which I we think will. we would love to do, and talk we will. more about that and some of the things that we need to set up. We need to set up these, uh, these, these, these technologies in order to make sure that they're fail-safe and they can Scott, operate. Scott, you're on. Rewrite the abstract for me. Focus on cyber, and we'll see if Chris and Samir want to do it. Samir, I have barely 60 seconds for you. Samir, go ahead. Ready. So conversational AI, AR, and VR, uh, which you know technologies that I think have the most promise. They're already proven out in a consumer context, and very soon all of us will be talking to our digital assistants at work in an enterprise context. And that's not even going to take a year. Uh, we're pretty soon going to be using augmented reality and virtual reality. As the time frame, in fact, is to 2025, it's going to become commonplace for all of us to have just wonderful experiences both at work and in retail contexts and in travel and every place imaginable as a human being where we're interacting with the world. So those are my three top picks is conversational AI or, you know, we call them Siri, Alexa, what have you, mm-hmm. um, augmented reality and virtual reality. And it's going to become way more ubiquitous than we can even imagine right now. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, it has been a true pleasure and honor speaking with you. Brad Borkin, you outdid yourself on this panel. You really did. Great minds. Thank you so much to my three panelists. I'm going to quickly do my shout-outs here, and thank you to Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel. Thank you for getting us on the air and keeping us there. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Chris Beiswinger at PwC, just like Scott Feldman at SAP, and just like Samir Patier at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel today, February 27th. Where is the year going? With our show on predictive machine learning. You don't want to miss it.
Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.